And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Hello, and welcome to Worldviews, a Christian apologetics channel where we seek to find harmony between the Bible and science. Today, we're going to take a look at day one of creation as given in Genesis 1 of the Bible. Critics of the Bible will ask, now, how can you have light without the sun? If the sun is not created until the fourth day, where did the light come from? How could you have day? How could you have evening and morning to mark the days? And these are all good questions. Let's take a look at it together today. In previous lessons here at Worldviews, we have talked a lot about the nature of inspiration, how important it is to use responsible methods of Bible study. This is especially true when it comes to Genesis 1. We need to remember that this ancient account of creation was not primarily intended for our modern age. We are not the original audience. It was an inspired communication from the Creator to a completely different culture with a completely different worldview and cosmology. Being hermeneutically responsible means that we try and understand the text first from the perspective of the original audience and then, and only then, see what we might glean for ourselves today. It may be difficult for our minds to separate light from the sun. But for the shepherds of Abraham's day, it may never have occurred to them that the sun is what caused the daylight. In our modern, bustling societies, where most of us live in the cities, we might not even hardly notice the sunrise or the light of dawn. But to the shepherds of old, the light of day showed up about an hour before the sun began its journey across the sky. For a number of summers, I worked as a video photographer on some archaeological digs in Israel and Jordan. The locations where we worked were actually very close to where Abraham may have grazed his sheep. To avoid the heat of the day, we would get up at 4.30 every morning. We would arrive at the tell in darkness and begin our work in the cool of the light of dawn. There were many mornings where it occurred to me how easy it would be for the shepherds of Abraham's day 
to not understand the relationship between the sun and the light of day. I could understand how it would seem as though the sun was placed to govern the day. But the light of the day came long before sunrise and lasted long after sunset. So, the Creator comes to communicate the creation event to shepherds. With sensitivity and respect for their culture, he describes a logical unfolding of the creation event that fit with their worldview. Darkness is undesirable. Light is good. So, God creates light and then separates that light from the darkness so that they are distinct. The light is called day. The darkness is called night. And we now have the ability to mark a day, evening and morning. One of the most important things of life for nomadic shepherds is light. And that is the first thing that the Creator makes. What about us today? Does this communication to an ancient culture mean that the ideas presented here in Genesis 1 have no significance for us today? To study ancient texts using principles of good hermeneutics means that sometimes you may have to be content with the fact that the inspired communication holds meaning that is significant to the primary audience alone and simply celebrate the fact that the text has been preserved to our day and be happy that we are able to catch a glimpse of how the Creator chose to communicate the principles of the creation event to them. The shepherds of old would want to know where the day came from. Who made the light so that we could go about our work every day? Well, God did. It's one of the very first things that He did on the very first day make the light. This is the primary message, and perhaps the only message. We might need to be satisfied with that. Some commentators try to twist the words of Genesis to be describing only our 21st century cosmology. Others make up fantastical scenarios of proposed temporary laws of physics in an attempt to preserve their understanding of how inspiration must work. I do not believe that either of these methods are necessary, wise, or helpful. There are some things about the Genesis account that may only be relevant to the ancient worldviews, and we may need to be content with that and celebrate that. However, 
once we can be satisfied with the primary message and be at peace with that, acknowledge that, be okay with that, be ready to move on unfazed by that, then I believe we can stop. Look a little closer at the text and try and understand what the Creator was trying to communicate to the ancients. If we can focus in on that, then there is a chance that we may discover the original intent of the idea behind the words that were used. We might see the true message, the principles of the idea, and carefully pull these things through the veil of time, culture, and language. What are the principles of this passage? I believe there are three. One, from a state of darkness nothingness, shapelessness, and emptiness, God creates light. Two, light is separated from darkness. Three, the first day is marked off. The creation of light enables the beginning of time. As we study the book of nature, science, we find that the event of the beginning, often referred to as the Big Bang, there was a whole lot of light. There was the beginning of the space-time continuum, and light was separated from darkness. Science is only just now beginning to acknowledge the existence of dark matter. Genesis 1 talked of the Creator separating light from darkness millennia ago. Could it be that while the primary message of this ancient oral tradition was to communicate the idea that the God that they worshipped was the one who created the light of day, that it can also hold meaning for our cosmology today? At the very least, I would like for us to consider how this passage on light and the general theme of the whole first chapter of Genesis is a picture of the Creator establishing order from chaos. How He divides, separates, and establishes. If Bible critics ask me, what can you possibly get from the old Hebrew creation story that would have any relation to the actual origin of our universe, this is one of the big ideas that gets me excited. The very idea of light makes me think of the establishment 
of the laws of physics. In particular, the whole electromagnetic spectrum. If you will remember from your school days, the visible light that we are able to see is really only a very narrow band in a huge spectrum of energy waves that range from radio waves through microwaves, infrared, ultraviolet, x-rays, and gamma rays. In later lessons, we'll talk a lot about how our universe and the laws that govern it are extremely fine-tuned. That if any of the many different laws of physics, including the electromagnetic spectrum, were off by just a little, life in this universe would not be possible. In fact, if some of these laws were off just a little, the young universe would have quickly collapsed back in on itself. So, on the first day, when God says, let there be light, I see God beginning his work of establishing stable laws of physics that will make the expansion of the universe and life on earth possible. Thus, on that very first day of the creation event, God not only turns on the light of day for our shepherds of old, for our understanding, I believe, we can see that he establishes laws of physics that may include the time-space continuum, the electromagnetic spectrum, and dark matter. Now, at this point, I know that some of you are probably saying, what? <laughs> the Big Bang? Time-space continuum? The electromagnetic spectrum? Dark matter? In Genesis? Isn't that a whole lot of iso-Jesus going on there? Aren't you bringing your own ideas into the text? Aren't you bringing the ideas of 21st century science into the text? Well, actually, no. And it was the way that we approached it that made all the difference. If my presentation would have dogmatically stated that all of this modern scientific ideas are obviously what Genesis 1 was talking about, that the original author somehow knew about all of these things, or that the creator was inspiring the word with all of these 21st century ideas in mind and trying to communicate them, then I believe that would be isogesis. Instead, our approach was that we went to the passage using good principles of hermeneutics, understanding first the original intent of the passage. We were content 
with acknowledging that this was the primary purpose of the text? We celebrated that God chose to communicate the concepts of creation the way that he did within the context of the understanding of the original hearers, and only then did we switch to doing exegesis, finding things that we might pull out of the text that will speak to us as well today. We dug deep to try and understand the purpose of the original communication, the original principles. And once we isolated those, then the only thing that we were doing was trying to find ways that we might find parallels to what we know about the universe today. We found three principles in the text that we were able to make connection with and interpret them to our context today. Many people, including many Christians today, have come to the conclusion that Genesis is an old origin myth that has no insight for us today and can be regarded as nothing more than ancient poetry. I think that is a mistake. I believe that Genesis has much to offer us today. I hope to see you back here at Worldviews as we discover more in the first chapter of Genesis. Thank you.